coming up on the Branding Deep Dive podcast. I, I remember I was working at USDA uh, eight years ago. And eight years ago, we had more than 50% traffic coming from mobile phones. The top most question that was being asked, how long do you put a turkey in the oven? <laughs> of course, <laughs> it is going to be like people are at Thanksgiving table or traveling. They are not at their desktop. Yeah. Okay. So what are they going to use to search whatever the question that they have or, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, that was that, you know, I still remember eight years ago. I was like, wow, I can't believe that I will live to see the mobile traffic exceeding the desktop traffic. This is Ahmed Chima and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them in your own brand. In this episode, we are talking to Atik Wuretsch, who is the web program director at the Department of Energy. He manages a website called energy.gov. You may have heard of it. This site gets about 4.5 million page views every month. Atik has been in the web space his entire career, and he has helped small one-person businesses all the way up to giant organizations develop their web presence. If you're not sure where to start with web analytics and content management, this episode will definitely help. Now, here's Atik Wuretsch. For the audience that doesn't know who you are, I'll let you give an introduction to yourself, but real quick, I just want to say... I'm really excited about this episode because Atik is someone that has worked with small businesses, uh, politicians, um, local nonprofit organizations, uh, and also currently is working at the Department of Energy as the web program director. So he's worked in the content management space at all different levels. And I think there's a lot to extract here and a lot of uh, value to be taken from this conversation. So uh, I'll let you introduce yourself, uh, but I'm really, I just wanted to let the audience know, uh, buckle up. This is going to be a good one. Uh, if you have a notebook, grab it, take some notes. There's a lot of lessons here for, uh, from anyone with their own personal brand all the way to the largest organizations in the world. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Dick? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you. Um, it's a player. Uh, it. I we wanted to do this for a long time. Uh, it's just timing was not working out, but you know uh, we're here now, finally. Um, so as you mentioned, that uh, I am working at the Department of Energy as the web program director uh, for the past seven years, um, and I, I manage Energy.gov website. That that is the main public facing website of the Department of Energy, um, and I call it my second child. Um, because I already have a child. So, uh, and it's a coincidence that uh, I started that job uh, about a month after my son was born. So it, it's not that hard to keep track of like how, how long I've been managing <laughs> the website. Uh, just have to add one more month to his date of birth and, you know, that's it. Boom. Um, and honestly, uh, I have been taking care of that website 
as if it, it is my child because you know they're just like you know little kids they don't talk they don't speak they don't like you have to be looking for what is in what they want you know why mm. are they so just like the website as well you know uh for managing that website for seven years um i i think i'm i, I know what exactly um it needs mm. it needs the best infrastructure uh, a scalable uh solid architecture that that you know doesn't matter how many visitors are on the website it's not crashing mm. um and also you know um in, in terms of response time the page is loading uh in a timely manner then the accessibility issues you know uh people with dis disabilities you know um and that's you know we're talking about section 508 that's a law and we have to comply with it uh we need to make sure that all the people um regardless of their disabilities, they have access to the same information as people without any disabilities. So all these things, uh, you know, just uh, I try to make sure that, you know, we are serving uh, and providing the information to everyone hmm. um, in, a, in a timely manner, in a, in a uh, user-friendly manner, like in terms of navigation, branding, and, uh, and all that. Um, and, and absolutely, it is a very fast-paced environment, and there is no any dull moment any day, any time. Um, and I believe that is one of the, the reasons that, uh, you know, seven years later, I'm still at this job. And I was actually just joking with my boss that, you know, they make sure that, you know, you don't have enough time to apply for another job. <laughs> uh, it, it is that kind of like, you know, and every day you're learning something. And I think like it's, it's not that... Um, if, if you're learning, that is also your personal career growth is happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, new technologies, the people that you work with in your team, uh, they bring a lot of knowledge uh, and they share with you. You learn from them. You you share with them. So um, it's, it's it's been really very exciting environment. And uh, I hope to stay in this role uh, for a really long time because I absolutely love it. and. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I would, it's a, it's a great opportunity to share that, that, you know, what does it takes to build teams and environment where people um, want to be part of that team mm -hmm. and want to grow and excel. So in a nutshell, you know, I've been doing the web development for the last, um, let's see, about 18 years. Uh, I started out as, as, as a very hardcore developer coding my way and you know uh, and honestly i never liked coding much uh but you know in terms of you know the the web development the user interface um and uh accessibility all these kind of things like I'm, i i call myself a jack of all trades um and it it, it helps a lot that uh, in, in my career i always saw that you have one you know the, the above my pay grade people going around and pro over promising things and then coming back and you know making your life miserable so instead of like you know kind of like looking for like okay you know maybe at some point these people will you know get their acts together i was like you know i'm, I'm gonna try to make my way up and you know uh maybe i can do a better job at not promising, over promising. And then, you know, so that has been my strategy as well. Like now, you know, I don't code at all, uh, but I have, I'm, 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 as, as I mentioned that I've been a 
a, a very hardcore programmer in my previous life. So I have a very soft cor corner for the, the developers. I'm on their side as well as I'm on the management uh, side as well. Uh, and the senior executives making sure that I deliver things uh, in a timely manner um, and, and not make anybody's life miserable by you know making false promises. Mm -hmm. So you said you started off as a programmer um, and then now you're kind of more in, I would say, uh, like a management role, right? right? So when did that shift? When you started out, were you always working with these content management systems or uh, is that something that happened later on at some point in your career? Uh, were, were you always in web uh, content management or was that a shift that happened at some point? Yep. So what I could recall um, back in 99, that is when I started developing websites. There was not such a thing, uh, content management system. It, it was like everyone has like kind of some idea. But in, in, in terms of small businesses, I don't think that they had the technology, they had the IT staff to kind of manage all that. And um, you, you need to have good understanding of HTML and, and, and CSS to design the website back then. Uh, also, if you want to update anything, you still need to know HTML. There's like nothing, you, you could not update a website without that knowledge, that skill. Um, and throughout my career, that's one of the transition that I have witnessed myself, that this whole technology um, evolution from HTML coding, hardcore, very, very convoluted kind of process to very streamlined process where all you need to know is how to type something up in Microsoft Word. Uh, and you, could be a great uh, storyteller and you can write blogs and articles and press releases without knowing even a single thing about HTML. So I, I think that, that the whole evolution kind of in, in my career, I was used to work at the Michigan State University. Um, at that time, I was involved into evaluating the content management system. So that is like when I got my hands on like, okay, hey, they, these are the, the things that can streamline. So. Um, for small businesses, it's it it really doesn't make much sense to at, at back then, you know, to have a content management system um, and have all these extra functionality. Uh, for them, it's probably easier to have you know five ten pages of HTML, hire somebody who can do the code and update and uh, be done with it. But when it comes to like bigger organization, medium sized organization, you have ten fifteen people writing blogs and articles. And you want to make sure that, it, you know, there is no stoppage of work. You know, it, it's like, you know, you e easily you can bring in people, you can train them and you can keep the ball rolling. So um, uh, and it, it, it's, it's very difficult to find the developers. And even if you find them, it's very expensive. Um, so I, I think this, this whole evolution of content management system, it's been great. Um, and one, one example I would add, um, I, I was used to chase down uh, the content. Somebody posted something which he or she was not supposed to be posting <laughs> or deleted something. And then I'm running around and trying to find like who did it, when, and all that kind of stuff. In, in Now in content management system, it's very easy. 
everything has a paper trail uh, who logged in, what changes they made, uh, what time they made that, and you know, it's easy peasy. I think that's a good segue into, I think one of the discussion topics we talked about when initially having you on uh, was content governance and policy, right? And so as it has gotten easier for users to create content, you know, these mm-hmm. CMSs have really made it really easy. You see an influx of content, right? And right. just a, a massive number of pages and PDFs and links uh, on these websites, right? And so I think where you're at right now is probably one of the most organizations that are listening, or most individuals that are listening probably don't have a website that that has as many pages as Department of Energy, right? right? Mm Energy.gov. And so I think I want to steer the conversation a little bit in that direction, right? So how do you think through, so you kind of mentioned one thing, right? Section 508, you have to make sure uh, everyone has access. And then uh, I guess what I really want to unpack is as as someone that's kind of managing all these pages of information, all this content, how are you thinking through what to keep on, what needs to stay, uh, what needs to go? How do you manage all that? How do you manage right. all the information? Because that is, you know, what the customers are seeing. That's right. what uh, your users are actually accessing. So uh, if you could. I'm sure. You know, that, that, this is uh, absolutely great question. Um, so. Uh, in, in, in in my current organization, the way things are set up, I absolutely love it that you have each program office. So there is Department of Energy, and then there are different program offices. You have the solar office, the water, renewable, um, uh, nuclear. You know, there, there are about 30 different program offices. Now, each program office... Um, we have given them the ownership of their content. Yeah. So we give them the training in the CMS. We help them navigate and we build the architecture of the website. It's just like, you know, helping somebody how, learn how to drive and then give them the keys and there, there they go. And if they need anything, any have any questions, they come back and, you know, we, we help them with any, any questions or best practices. But in terms of managing the content of their program offices. Can, they, I, sure. can I pause you right there? Sure. Because I think right here is a really good lesson for people in the small business space, mm-hmm. right? As small business owners and as personal brands, you have to be a jack of all trades, like you mentioned you are. And as a jack of all trades, it's really important that the people you train, they are able to quickly execute on your vision. So right. can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how do you make sure that you know, the training is up to par uh, and then that they're up- upholding the same standards that you have as the, the broader organization. Right. So uh, in terms of training, it's uh, we provide training to each and every new user and refreshers on demand as well. Uh, and we touch pretty much all aspects of the CMS, all the content types and also accessibility um, as well. Uh, there's a separate office who leads the accessibility um, uh, issues and, you know, compliances. In terms of um, energy.gov, uh, we partner with them and make sure that uh, we get their feedback 
and we integrate their feedback into what we need to. Uh, and also we use a um, third-party tool as well that scans the website. And then we prioritize that, okay, well, you know, which are the, the quick wins here? You know, there might be some, some things that we can do that can uh, improve the, the scanning results across the platform. Uh, instead of somebody, you know, doing, making some changes on their, their page. But, you know, if, if we make certain pages, uh, all the pages in the Drupal, the content management system that we use, it will be impacted all across the platform. Um, now, in, in terms of the way it is set up, I absolutely love it that you have, you know, for the small businesses, once they grow, I have I have witnesses that that you know they, they they struggle with their content and everything else that is going on because they're not used to the you know getting big and uh and it, it, always it's going to be problematic. The way the energy gov content is set up and being managed that we have something called organic groups in the back end of um the content management system and every group has uh, within that group, you can have any content. You can publish, you can delete content, you can unpublish, do whatever you want to do. There is no any interference with other groups. So, and also giving them the uh, independence to manage their contents and be responsible as well. So uh, I, I am huge fan of, you know, promoting ownership. Like even that might be little tiny bitty things that somebody take on the ownership and, you know, just, just don't, don't, you know, keep kicking that to somebody else play. And, and I've seen that like any time that I have seen even one sing, single example where somebody's like, okay, I'm going to take care of this content type. And that is, you know, my responsibility podcast, for example, you know, we have somebody in, in, in our office, uh, and that, you know, he takes the ownership, he does podcasts and, you know, it, like there's no any interference. Like that guy is that guy for the podcast, right? So, uh, and, and same thing with, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, I was, I was going to ask, you mentioned something, you kind of briefly skimmed over. I think this is a, this is a point that I would love to hear your input mm -hmm. on is sure. that um, as businesses are scaling from small business to medium mm -hmm. business, often one of the first things that gets neglected is their content, right? Mm -hmm. Their website, because they're so focused on the operation and making sure that things are staying afloat. Right. So I wanted to get your take on why do you think it's, is it important? First off, is it important to prioritize your content and content management? And then if so, uh, if it is, then why? Uh, if it isn't, then why not? Okay. Uh, first of all, um, the website and the content. It is the reflection of the business, um, and not a lot of time. Not nowadays in this uh, day and age, like, people are not going to go knock at the door or drive by and see, uh, or you know, get inside the shop and look at the catalog. It's always going to be for the most part. People are going to browse on their phone or on their desktop, look at the website. So I think. You know, there should not be any compromise. There shouldn't be even a question that is it going to be, you know, should we compromise on that or not? Uh, we, we, any any small business, medium business, large business, you have to put a lot of focus on your content because the reach that you have, it is just incredible. 
Hmm. And and the image that you would would have, you know, if, if your content is not up to date, I mean, you know, that that is not going to go well with with the users. I don't think anyone would be interested if there's if there are two products with different prices on somebody's website. Uh, I I don't know if that that might actually you know uh, be uh, questionable that you know this is a legit business that uh, you know there's different prices uh, for the same product and and it could be you know somebody just had had one page for the product and the other guy just you know started a new page and you know so uh, all I'm saying like you know it, it just you know uh, that it, it could be just inaccurate information. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and I think that need to reflect that business, uh, and it, it is very important to keep the content up to date, that information up to date, because at the end of the day, the purpose of the website is information information sharing. So if the information is not correct, then you know why would or should that business even have the website? Because that is going to probably cause more confusion than you know help to customers. Yeah, there's um one of the guys that uh, I follow. One of the analogies he uses is that creating content, kind of staying up to date with all of it. Uh, he's actually referring to it in regards to social media. But I think even for your website, if you have a good SEO strategy and you're actually organically reaching people, it's like having a thousand handshakes every day. Right. Right. Like these page views you're getting through ranking on Google, people are looking for something. And Google is saying, hey, check this business out. Right. And if you're not staying on top of it, like you mentioned, uh, your authority in that space is going to go down and down and down. And then the business that you've built, uh, if you want to ultimately keep scaling it, you need to make sure you have authority in your space. And if you don't, right. then um, it's only a matter of time in, in this day and age, like you mentioned, that you know people are more and more. I know you were one of the uh, I know you mentioned a project you were working on where uh, I think it was one of your past offices that you were at. But. You actually transitioned a, a site that was um, just desktop, and I think it was when HTML5 was first coming out, and you uh, made a mobile either right. as an application or you kind of made a mobile first kind of experience for the website. And so, I think right, that's the uh, that's a very long time ago. I don't I don't know how you remember <laughs> that, but uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, that, that was a I was working at the Federal Election Commission at the time. Um, and that's probably about 12 years ago. And, uh, at the time that this whole like mobile responsive, everyone has their own name, like what do you want to call it? But, you know, it, it was very interesting to be in that, in that race to get your content, uh, you know, uh, uh, responsive. Um, and there were some of the data that I was interested in that, you know, people during the election, of course, they're looking at like, you know, who is raising more money. And I started working on it and, uh, it, it was, you know, I, I put a lot of my personal time into it the weekends because I was like, you know, this, this is, I want to get it, get it done. And, you know, I showed it to my boss and, you know, he showed it to his boss and all of a sudden it's a big thing. I was, you know, I had a few months and I was, uh, you know, um, asked to deliver that project, you know, within a few months because, you know, they wanted to announce that. And like, it, it was just me working all by myself. And, uh, and it was the time when, when you had, you know, even when you Googled, you're not going to find much. Hmm. 
And honestly, in my career, that was one of the best things that I enjoyed, not being the 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 sheep and, and finding something and copying and pasting code. But it was something that you see that, you know, everyone is struggling. Okay. Hey, you know what? Google Maps are not responsive. Like what? Google <laughs> Maps are not responsive. Then what is responsive? And then, you know, you find something and, you know, they change their um, libraries, JavaScript libraries, and then all of a sudden, whatever you build, it's not working the way it was supposed to be working. So being in that group, it, it was just incredible. Um, and and I'm very proud of that work that uh, uh, I built that um, uh, small portal that was mobile responsive even though when the rest of the website for the Federal Action Commission was not mobile responsive. Uh, but eventually, again, you know, uh, it, this content management system has been evolving over the period of time. Now you have Drupal, WordPress, you know, um, and, and a lot of other uh, content management systems, very sophisticated. Um, and, and again, you know, they, they are, they're, you know, the, the priority is mobile first. And for... For our project, Energy.gov project, uh, it started back in 2011. And the keyword, the, a lot of focus was on mobile first. Because if something is rendering properly in mobile phones and, and tablets, it will render fine in the desktop as well. Hmm. Because a lot of time what happens, like, you know, the, you, and I've been in this web development business for a long time. Uh, when it comes to mobile phones or, you know, uh, tablets, that's where everything was being compromised. And I think this, this approach that, okay, mobile first, it helped a lot. Okay. No, 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 no. Less because, um, in last couple of years, um, you know, uh, the, the mobile traffic has been almost same as the desktop traffic. And I, I pretty much live and breathe on Google Analytics as well. At any day I'm working, I have one tab open in Google Analytics, uh, and I'm monitoring the, the the live traffic coming to the website. Um, and I, I remember I was working at USDA uh, eight years ago, and eight years ago we had more than fifty percent traffic coming from mobile phones. The topmost question. That was being asked, how long do you put a turkey in the oven? <laughs> of course, <laughs> it is going to be like people are at Thanksgiving table or traveling. They are not at their desktop. Yeah. Okay. So what are they going to use to search whatever the question that they have or, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, that was that, you know, I still remember eight years ago. I was like, wow. I can't believe that I will live to see the mobile traffic exceeding the desktop traffic. There's a lot that's going on here. So I, I want to unpack this a little bit. So I think the first thing is that it's super important to, like, you know, oftentimes when you're building a brand or you're, you're building a product, whatever it may be, when you're on, inventing on behalf of the customer, customer may not know what they want. They can't articulate it. And what you said, this mobile first revolution, I think that's a really good example of that, right? Like customers may not be able to say, hey, you need to go mobile first. They're not right. thinking about that. They're like, oh, this website's over here. 
I'm trying it on my phone. It doesn't work good, but whatever, you know, it gets the job done. But then when you show them that, right, then they can't go back. Right. right. Then it's like, oh, like I was missing out on this the whole time. And I think you look at the great brands like the the Apples and, and all these of the world, they're like, I think Amazon's a great example. Like you start with, you know, you make an announcement, we're doing two day shipping. Right. Now, if I get a package that's, you know, it takes a week. I'm like, what is this? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Before that, it was normal. You know what right. I mean? Like two weeks, three weeks, it'll take time. You understood. And you paid 10 bucks for the shipping for, right. for a week. Yeah. Now it's like for free, two days, sometimes one day. You know, it's like, it's crazy. So I think the, the branding principle here is that you have to keep pushing on behalf of your customer. Right. And the insight that you're gaining, and I think that's where, where I want to kind of drive this, is that you're looking at the traffic. You're understanding what people are trying to find. You know, you're seeing the analytics. Where are they coming from? They're coming from their mobile. What are they searching? How do we make this experience better for them? Right. So can you touch on a little bit, a little bit more on the Google Analytics piece uh, and how for small businesses that are looking to create content, right, or optimize their website? Um, what are you kind of uh, thinking through in that space? Uh, what are you looking at in terms? You don't have to go into the super details, but like at a high level, how are you thinking through your content strategy, uh, and, and what are you looking for uh, as feedback for your website? Right. Sure. Um, so one thing that uh, when I started working at the Department of Energy, um, I implemented Google Webmaster Tools, and you know, for um, not a lot of people know that, uh, but you can tap into Google Search um, and before somebody comes to your website, you can find out exactly what they were searching before the landing landed to your website. Mm. I think that is just incredible wealth of uh, data right there. That what was going on in somebody's mind. Mm. So we don't know exactly, you know, if, if that person got what they were looking for. And and I think that you know, for for small businesses, I would. But would highly recommend for any business actually with any website. Um, just ask one simple question: Did you get what you were looking for? Mm. You you need to be able to connect with your users. In the federal government, we're not supposed to be tracking users. We cannot even track the IP addresses or something. Uh, in the private sector, you can track user whatever you want to track, uh, pretty much. And uh, you know, it's a uh, you can talk back with the users. You can ask their email address, phone numbers, you know, okay, how do we reach back to you? And what did you like about our website? What you didn't like about web your website? But again, not getting into too much of a, a survey or questionnaire five minute long, but just one question. Start with one question. Did you find what you were looking for? Mm. Okay. If the person is not in hurry, they are going to respond yes or no. If they say yes, end of story. You have a happy customer. If no, then you need to talk back to those people. Hmm. Why? And they will be more than happy to tell you because they are not happy and they're <laughs> looking for somebody to talk to. Yeah. So that's from my personal experience that, you know, uh, when... On, on surveys or, you know, you end a phone call and then, you know, the, this whole like questionnaire, 
guess what? Who is sitting there and complaining? The people who are not happy. Mm. Okay. So um, I, I think it, there are a lot of different ways to connect with, with the users. Um, about uh, 15 years ago, I was looking at website designs and stuff like that. And I uh, there was one example that sticked in my, my head. Uh, it was just incredible. Uh, on Harvard University, they they had one link. I don't, I don't know if they still have it, but you know, uh, back then, I, I just loved that idea. They were not asking like, hey, it's a registration form. You're a college student. You're applying for admission or stuff like that. Give, give us your phone number, blah, 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 and we'll send you the information. What they asked for was one simple link, introduce yourself. Hmm. And I thought that was incredible. That it's not just, you know, because you don't know who is that person. But when, you know, you can put in there, hey, apply a job here, or, you know, you want to reach out to somebody at the university, or, you know, or, or you're looking for a job, it could be anyone. Introduce yourself. Like, it's like you're reaching out to everyone. I don't think anyone you're, you're going to skip that way. So um, I, I think in terms of, you know, again, there are different designs, there are different ways to connect with users. Um, and uh, I think there are a lot to explore. Even myself, I'm learning a lot. Um, but honestly, I think it's, uh, it's it's very important that you need to, even though it is a website, but you need to be responsive. Uh, and you need to, you know, if, if there is an email or there is a contact us form, um, or, you know, when somebody comes to your website, if you can ask like one simple question uh, and, you know, start the conversation and reach back to them, that's the way to do it. I think there's there's a lot. Each of your answers, there's so much to unpack. So, uh, <laughs> you know, thank you. But hey, I got 18 years of experience. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I have to offload that in, in an, about an hour. So <laughs> let's see. Uh... Right. So first thing I want to I want to touch on real quick is that that experience that you're saying, just asking, did the user find what they were looking for? That's something that I've seen in grocery stores nowadays, too. Like <laughs> you go to the self-checkout. Right. The first thing they ask before you can even start. Hey, did you find everything you're looking for? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research time and energy that goes in the grocery store trying to make sure that the items are placed together in the right place so it makes sense logically. You're able to find it, right? The signs are there, all that stuff. The same thing with your website, right? right. They're coming to your website for a purpose. They want to get something. You need to make sure you create those uh, passageways and it's clear how to get the job that they were trying to do done. It's the same thing in operations, right? Like I come from an operations background, right? Like Lean Six Sigma, like that stuff, 5S, like if you can make sure the person that's trying to do the job has everything they need, right? Right. You're going to make the process so much more efficient, right? And so how do you know that they have everything they need? How do you know that there's not some issue that keeps bugging them that th- that's causing downtime? You ask mm-hmm. them, hey, right. uh, are you able to do your job? Is there anything that's getting in the way, right? You, you stand them down. Hey, talk to me about the process. You watch them say, hey, I see you doing this. Like, can we make this process better somehow? So really good point there. Um, Google Analytics, Google Webmaster, really useful tool. I haven't used it myself that much, but I think after you kind of, I hope they're paying you or something because I want to start using it. <laughs> but um, next thing I want to touch on is a little bit 
let's get back into energy.gov a little bit and just analytics wise, what kind of numbers, like what are the page views you're getting? Do you mind touching that a little bit? And then uh, I know actually not energy.gov necessarily. I want to talk about keywords mm-hmm. and sure. how you optimize your website for that. And I think you had a, when we were talking, you you mentioned a story at Michigan State University. I mm-hmm. think that would be uh, the perfect one here. Sure. Yeah. So uh, first of all, you asked, the, the page a- analytics for energy.gov. Uh, that's not a secret. It's all open information. Uh, we actually uh, um, participate in one of the di- digital analytics program. Um, and what that program does, it, it collects all the data from all the federal government website that are participating in that program. And they have on their website, it's all Public data. So we 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 have uh, we got about four point uh, five million page views oh, per wow. month for energy.gov, and uh, I think I'm, that's I'm, that's slightly more than branding deep dive gets. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just the uh, uh, honestly, I'm I'm very excited uh, because for the last about five five plus years, I have not seen the numbers um, more than uh, four point five million. Um, about two months ago, we had 4.7 million page views. So I'm, I'm seeing the growth. I think there's a lot of fresh content coming in, new ideas, new administration. You know, uh, that, that's always like, I think it, it's a, uh, whenever you have a new administration, you have a lot of, you know, new audience coming in and kind of like, you know, uh, it, it, they, they you get new followers. That That's normal. You know, the media is also like kind of like energized, like, hey, you know, uh, I, I, good or bad, you know, just just watching over your shoulder what these people are doing or what these people are not doing, and also, you know, um, um, with the, the 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 new political appointees, a uh, lot of new young um, staff, um, and you know, they want to accomplish as much as they can uh, uh, with with very short period of time. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I think we're gonna go. And you know, I'm looking forward to five million page views pretty soon. Uh, so, in in terms of keywords, uh, that was a really interesting example. That uh, I was working at Michigan State University, um, and 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 I developed a um, a website that um, where you could post uh, the research projects. Uh, the faculty could post the research project, whatever research they have going on, and uh, they could collect um, uh, information of the the students, whoever is interested in in, in the research work. Um, after a few months, we heard some complaints like, "Hey, you know, students were like, well, we we're not finding any information. This application is just piece of crap, you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, we just, you know, and the faculty, you're like, well, you know, we just wasted all this money because, you know, I'm, we're not finding any any applicants. What is going on? So what I did, and now this this is very important. You always need to dig more into data. You shouldn't just, you know, on, on the surface, on the face, you, you make any decision like, okay, well, this application is garbage or, you know, this 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 project is garbage. You need to dig more into it. Like, why is it not working? Okay, and more data you have, better decision you can make, better, better visibility you have what is going on. And I was a coder at the time. So 
Here's what I did. Every time somebody is clicking that press button, let's say, for example, somebody is searching for biology or, you know, uh, chemistry or, you know, just, just simple keywords like, you know, somebody's looking for an internship uh, on campus. Every time they press that button, previously it was just searching through the keywords database and bringing in the project that were, that were matching, right? So what I did, every time they're pressing that button, I was triggering another event that I'm just taking that keyword data and dumping into the database. Mm -hmm. So I had all the list of the keywords and they were so busy. Mm. Okay. Let, let me uh, let me try to make sure I'm getting this mm. right. Sure. So you set up a platform where the faculty can post projects mm -hmm. um, and then students can also search for projects and try to get those projects. Right. And so uh, the at first you're not getting any connections, right? You're not right. able to connect uh, the students with the faculty. And so from there, what you did is you created an extra uh, layer to the program where you're keeping track of the keywords that the people are searching. Right. And then, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, basically it was a, uh, a, a website with a database where you could search what projects are are there for faculty and and student can can apply okay and, okay so like so, if i'm a student i want an internship right. i want a project i go to this website uh and i look for it yep uh, and if i'm a faculty member i need a student to help me out with this right i post it there it's yep. like a job you, posting yeah if you're a faculty you have access to the back end you could start a project you could put keywords in there that what what are the things that you know when somebody's searching that it should you know match up and, and so um so once i had that data i was like wow this this is incredible so what students were searching all that data versus what faculty put in there as keywords and matching keywords um in that application so did the comparison it, it was pretty straightforward the students they don't know all the microbiology and all those terms you know were very into the weeds research that some faculty is doing they have no idea they, they don't even know what major they're going to be right <laughs> so at that point you know i we, we went back to the faculty we we're like look this is what's going on so you guys need to dumb down a little bit you know these are poor students they're you know they they don't they already have not done their phd hmm. okay they they're fresh college students um sophomores you know uh maybe you know just uh um as 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 simple as you can for those the keywords that will be very helpful mm -hmm. and once they start updating those keywords and boom mm -hmm. that project was not killed and that, it is actually actually it is still to date uh michigan state university is using that project oh wow it's called venture.msu.edu. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like the whole idea was like, you know, venture, um, you know. Um, so they, they changed the layout and everything. I'm not honestly sure that if the still the back, back end and the coding is still what I put in there. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a lot of, you know, personal connection with that project. That's, that's really awesome. And I think if we did like a case study somehow of like mm -hmm. all the small businesses and, 
all these startups in the world that are creating job postings, I feel like we'd come up with a lot of that. Where like these people that are so into the weeds are having difficulty finding people to join their teams because why? Because they're talking about the weeds, right? Like they're talking about things that people don't necessarily know. So I think that's a very valuable insight. And I think the coming back to the Google Webmaster thing is like, how can you know? Like, not, I mean, you had to create a separate query for it, right. uh, but this webmaster tool should help you, right? Like if they come into your website, why are they coming? Uh, right. Or if they're not coming to your website, what are people actually searching? Yep. Right. Um, and kind of looking at the data from trends and, and all that stuff. So I think that's very important. Uh, coming back to Department of Energy, how many, um, do you know how many pages you have total? Uh, about 150K. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then I know you mentioned you have PDFs as well. Yep, a lot of PDF. Uh, Sometimes I call it Department of PDF. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, jokes aside, uh, uh, I think probably 400, mm. 500K PDFs. And PDFs are actually more problematic because the content is, is buried in, in the PDF documents. Mm. Keeping those up to date, uh, it, it's just... just uh, very time consuming. Very yeah. That that brings me to my next question. And that is when you're dealing with content at that scale, mm-hmm. right? Like if we're talking about a small business, if I'm talking about my personal website, let's talk about brandingdeepdive.com. We like we don't even have any articles right now. Let's say we started doing articles, probably 10, 20, 30, max hundred mm-hmm. articles. We can go through and find, okay, this is not a good article. This is no longer relevant. This information changed. Need to update this. The policy over here doesn't apply anymore. But with 150,000 pages, 500,000 PDFs, an insane amount of content, right? Like I think most of our listeners are not dealing with that amount of content, but I think there's a lot of important lessons here and how you manage content that got old, content that is no longer relevant, right? Like I'm sure you guys are, uh, I mean, you guys are working in policy and government and so things changing all the time. And so if you could walk the audience through at a high level, how do you actually make sure that the content on your website is up to date uh, and at that scale, right? Like how do you make sure that the users are getting the most relevant information at that time? Yeah, no, this, this is very challenging. And honestly, um, I, I didn't have to deal with this problem in, uh, at that scale, uh, any of my previous jobs. And, and it might be that, you know, I've been at the, at this job for too long, seven years. So you have to clean up, you know, uh, and for, for, um, for the last, uh, three administration, this, this has been kind of, you know, you, you do migrations from one, one platform to another platform. And it's just like moving, honestly, you know, you pack up your stuff and you go to the new place and, there are some of the boxes always going to be just sitting in there. Okay. Uh, and a lot of time, you know, a lot of people don't even open those boxes because they know that, you know, it is going to eat up, you know, that good chunk of summer, the entire summer, they would have to go through each and every single thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's the, when I moved from Michigan, man, I, I still have some of those boxes. So I'm not going to lie. <laughs> So uh, I, I think I was, was going to say, it sounds like you're speaking from personal experience. Right, right. No, it's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think uh, 
it, it, it's normal process, you know, it, when, when, when you move, uh, it is going to happen. And if, if you move too much, you know, uh, those boxes, I think it's better to keep them <laughs> in the box. But anyway, uh, same, same thing with energy.gov as well. Um, when in 2011, there was major, major redesign when we started using Drupal. Um, and even back then, there was a lot of content. There was, you know, because re getting that reviewed from so many different people, my office doesn't produce all that content. It is all, you know, 30 plus different program offices. They produce that content. So going back and forth, even the person who might have authored that certain content blog or press release or something might not be even at the department anymore. So first you have to find that person. Hey, is that person is still there? After that, if that person is willing to review and, and get back to you in a timely manner. So we're talking about just one blog. So imagine if you have 150,000 pages and each and every single page you want to get get it reviewed, it would be it would be very time consuming. So what I like personally, the way we have dealt with this issue is I think is it's really, really interesting that not getting too much into the weeds, just being flexible, just developing the functionality and giving it back to the program offices, these offices. Like, okay, you know, here's a here's the complete package. It's up to you how much you want to use. So what we were able to do within the content management system, we built um, functionality where each and every content need to be tagged. So you have different categories. You can tag it as as purge. Okay, well, this content, piece of crap, is old, obsolete, get rid of it. Simple. Hmm. Okay. It's just one click. You tag, you, there's a drop down, you tag it, and that's it. From our side, it, the people who manage the CMS, all we have to do is run a report, anything that has a tag with, with purge, unpublish it, and then eventually get rid of that content. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is you, you created this functionality within the CMS mm -hmm. where uh, a team of backend people can essentially flag content that they think is no longer right. uh, accurate. And I guess they can just do that as they see it. And then uh, you guys probably review it what, weekly or monthly. That, that process is still, we're working on it. Um, and and this, this whole idea evolved over the period of time, you know, about two years on and off. So every time I was get, getting a request like, okay, you know, could you go do a search in the CMS? How many times this certain keyword that is politically sensitive mentioned? So I was going back, doing a search, coming back. And then, you know, eventually I was like, you know, this is consuming a lot of my time, man. So uh, I started developing that functionality. Uh, with the help of the, my development team and the reporting and everything. So every time somebody asks me, you know, I just go back and run that, you know, uh, the query and get the report and give it to them. Now, the, exactly the same way we have the ownership of the, the content, the people are producing the content. My idea was that, okay, why not give it back to all these 200 plus people so that they can review, they can tag, and they can help us uh, with, with keeping this content up to date instead of us going after these people. Hey, why is this on the website? Which, of course, we do that. Like, for example, if there is any 
any uh, information that is obsolete and is uh, is sensitive, and we need to get rid of it. Of course, you know, I mean, we we get rid of it. But I wanted to not just you know kick can the kick the can down the road, but also make it, make it flexible and streamline the process of of keeping the content up to date. So uh, right now, uh, what we're looking into is that the user will not be able to even save the content or publish the content unless they tag it properly within the system mm. uh, so that it becomes streamlined. Um, and and uh, uh, we, we're going to run this every year, all these reports. And uh, uh, right now we have a three-year policy. Any content that is older than three years, that need to be reviewed. That need to be reviewed and that need to be tagged. Uh, and we have very flexible tagging as well. Like, okay, well, you know, you can tag it as, as purge. If you think the content is obsolete, if you think that, okay, well, this content, yeah, maybe in a, in a year or so, I want to come back and review again. I might have more information or something. You can postpone that. You're like, okay, well, you know, need review in, a, in about a year or something. You can pick and choose the date. Um, and then there's some content that need to be on the website. It is required by law. Uh, so um, you can pick that tagging so that we don't accidentally delete it. Uh, and you don't need to review that over and over again because it's required by the law. Uh, there, there could be some content that is a hearing and appeals related content, some related to uh, climate change um, effects and stuff like that. Uh, you know, just, just bunch of legal stuff that uh, you need to have on the website. I think real quick, I think there's, um, I, I think this quote is attributed to Bill Gates, but I'm not sure if this is actually something that he said, but uh, the saying goes that I think he said that I would rather have a lazy person than a hard worker because they'll find the easiest way to get something done. So uh, I think that is what you just described. That's what kind of came into my mind because you're getting these requests. It's taking you a long time. Mm -hmm. You realize it's a waste of your time because you don't know the necessary details, right? And so you're like, how can I offload this off my plate and actually give it to the respective owners and make it easy for them to keep up to date, right? And so for product building, that is a very important lesson is like understand uh, what the problem is, right? And don't just kind of, you can't be a yes man, right? Like, especially... If you're going to chart new territory, you can't just be like, oh, someone's asking me to do this. Let me just take a week and, you know, like every right. time check this one article. You know what I mean? How can I do this at scale? How can I make sure that um, the people that actually are in charge of this content are also able to flag it, also able mm -hmm. to uh, update that? So I think that's really uh, important. And I think um, it's a good principle to, to live by. Can you, I know you had a couple of examples. Can you give an example of, um, just to make it a little bit more concrete for the audience, an example of some piece of content that maybe became outdated uh, and the kind of impact that it may have if it stayed there and why it's so important at, at your level, uh, at an organization as big as yours and with as much reach as yours and as much visibility, why it's important to stay on top of it. So if you could just give sure. an example. Um, so um, the former administration, uh, um, pull back from the Iranian nuclear deal. We still have all the content on the website. Um, 
Paris uh, Climate Accord. Uh, Accord. Uh, That's another content that was on the website. Um, Hold up real quick. So I I just want to paint this picture for the audience to make it really clear. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that the administration pulled out of these agreements Mm -hmm. that they had, yet on the website, it still had the old information. And so what we're talking about here in this example is not like, oh, you, you have the wrong price for a product. This is a matter of not just, you know, even energy.gov at this point. Right. This is the brand of the United States government, the trust exactly. that the users have of the right. government that is at stake here. Exactly. So I just wanted to paint that picture for the audience. Right. No, it's, uh, and honestly, I still remember. So I'm going through the website. And I'm looking for all the pages, any videos, any content, anything that is that has a mention of these, you know, uh, two agreements, and uh, just you know, making sure that they're not on the website. Now, here's the sad part. Um, I looked it up on the Department of State's website at the time, and it was still on their website. So, like, what what is going on? So, again, the at the beginning, I I mentioned that this is not just a Department of Energy's issue. Um, or energy.gov issue. It, it is, you know, for, for any business, keeping your content up to date, that is very, very important. That that tells your users, your visitors, what, what you are, what you stand for. Um, and that information need to be as accurate as possible. And you have, a, you have an added duty as a public sector uh, being funded by Taxpayers, right? So uh, I know you mentioned that you're, uh, what did you say? You said that um, your stakeholders mm-hmm. are the taxpayers. Right. Right. And so you have this added duty to make sure that the content is serving them, right? right. And it's accurate and they're getting what they're paying for. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's just a, I just want to make sure that the audience understands that, you know, don't take, this stuff lightly, like make sure that you have these mechanisms in place. And what you highlighted uh, is not just like, oh, we'll check our website every once in a while, but you created a mechanism, right? Like, hey, this is a problem. How do we make sure that it's not just if I leave, it's still getting fixed, right? right? You created a tool, you created a process. And now if you leave, you're out of the picture. The content management system is still happening. So I think that's really important. Uh, I want to make sure the audience is, is getting yep. that and really soaking that in. Um, yeah. and, and and my goal is that uh, it's a uh, um, Drupal is an open source, and at some point I, I would love to have that developed separately, you know, uh, as a module in, in Drupal that we can give it back to the, the Drupal community as well, so that it's mm-hmm. not just for energy.gov. It could be any organization can can use that. Uh, and can benefit from from this functionality. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, I, I read an article that uh, you guys switched from uh, your old hosting service, or was it hosting service? Or yep. So um, we had uh, a lot of issues at the. Um, hosting provider uh, about two years ago. And honestly, uh, by no any means, it was that that hosting provider's fault. Uh, I, I call it that we've been victim of our own success. Hmm. 
uh, we just overgrew. It was a small company, and uh, and, and one of uh, the role that I have at this job, being the web program director, um, is is to consolidate all the the public facing websites into Energy.gov to save taxpayers money, uh, so that there no like not every single program office or, or sub program office are creating their own websites. So the goal for the last eight nine years for this project, Energy.gov project, and this again, it's it's it has its own brand. Um, it, it, the goal was to to build an architecture that is scalable, that is dependable, um, and 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 bring all these public websites to energy.gov. So you 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 don't have to have a separate um, hosting, you don't have to have a separate Drupal, you don't have to have you know scan a, a different website and. Uh, even there are like so many in federal government, there are so many uh, compliances of OMB, uh, Office of Budget Management uh, stuff and, and the White House directives and all that kind of stuff. If you have one website, all you have to do is make that website compliance once. If you have multiple website, imagine, you know, the, the scanning and, and making those websites secure. All that cost just explodes. And over the last... Uh, uh, seven years, I have been able to consolidate at least uh, 50 websites into energy.gov. So with, with, with that, it, it's, the, it, it's, it's been growing. So I, I looked it up, Google Analytics. We used to have 50,000, only 50,000 page views. And now we're talking about 4.7 million page views per month, right? So that growth that we brought in so many different websites and we've been with, you know, our own branding been building um, with that um, at the, at the previous data center website just could not handle that much of traffic. And uh, that is when, you know, the website started going down and um, I started collecting data, how many times we were going down and, um, also, we had certain SLAs that we enforced them and we got the money back. But, you know, at, at the at the cabinet level agency website going down eight hours in a day, it is not acceptable. Regardless, even if it's free, even even then it is not acceptable because it's a, it's it has a name. It has a brand um, and it has, you know, a trust that, you know, people have in that. Uh, you can't even afford that for for free. Uh, having somebody host that. So anyway, uh, again, it, it's by no any means it was the fault of that data center. Uh, it was just you know we we just overgrew, and we needed a, a bigger space, a more stable place. Uh, and that is when you know I um, had a lot of meetings back and forth with my senior management and uh, with the the CIO office. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for their support. Uh, they funded through the project. They provided me anything and everything that I needed. And I was able to move Energy.gov website to Amazon Cloud uh, as of June 2020. Hmm. And we had um, 14 outages in 2019. 
uh, and that was a, a total of 20, um, 26 hours. Wow. 26 at, hours. At a cabinet level. At, at the cabinet level uh, agency going down. That is the more than two hours uh, every month. Imagine no website for more than two hours every month. Yeah. So just I, I want to paint the picture for the audience a little bit here. This is people are trying to access energy.gov, right. whether they're Google searching, whatever it is. And then when they get to the website, it's down. Yep. And so that happened for 26 hours in 2019 is what you're 2019 saying. 2019 for 26 hours. And just, so I just want the audience to think about like, you go to facebook.com, Instagram.com, Netflix. Right. The sites are never down, right? right. Like exactly. they're always available. And so what you're saying, I think that this is a consistent theme throughout this whole podcast is that, you're taking the data and understanding what's happening and then taking action based on that feedback you're getting. And so that is what, so you're, you're getting this data, 26 hours we're down. What can we do about this? And so you said, let's go to AWS, right? right. And so uh, what was the result of going to AWS? So I, I guess so, real quick, the reason why you went to AWS is because uh, you're having these downtimes and it's affecting uh, the, the trust that the customers have not customers, your your users have, or the taxpayers have, of energy.gov, right? And it's impacting your brand in a negative way. So you decided to go to AWS. And then do you have uh, data from after the switch? When did you guys actually switch? Was 2020? Uh, yeah, June 2020. And after that, there has been zero. Zero. Zero to uh, outage to date. Uh, wow. Knocking on the wood, you know. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm honestly very proud of that project. That's probably, I would say, the highlight of my entire career, that that was a project that I, I fought for it. Uh, and actually, as a matter of fact, when I started working at the Department of Energy seven years ago, um, one of the questions that I asked during my interview, like, why are we not in AWS? Because that was that's, that's the brand. Yeah. You know, if, if you're looking for a stable environment, a cloud hosting environment uh there's no better place can you paint the picture for the people that may not be familiar with cloud computing sure. uh so just for the audience uh, and i'll kind of give my little two cents my mm -hmm. very basic understanding then you can kind of give a little bit more um so my understanding is you were using a local warehouse that had servers or sorry not warehouse but a local data center that had servers right and these servers were hosting your website and so when people were searching for energy.gov, it's taking them to these servers um, that are hosted in a physical space, probably somewhere near where you guys were. Right. Uh, and then since just the scale was not as big, they probably didn't have enough uh, backups of your website and all this stuff. And they were, you, know, you had downtime. Now you go to Amazon cloud computing. Uh, my understanding is this, and please, I'm not a cloud computing expert by any means, is that you're essentially taking Amazon server space and you can scale with them and pay as you go. Essentially, if you're getting a lot of more traffic, they'll increase your bandwidth and uh, you essentially, it's like you're renting space on their servers. Right. And so uh, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, um, I, I have been a great fan of AWS, Amazon web services. And especially, you know, when, when uh, a retailer, is leading the cloud space for more than 10 years. That tells you a story. 
this this is not what they were supposed to be doing. This is not their job function. They were supposed to be selling books, man, right? Or whatever diapers, maybe, uh, and uh, you know, then everything else as well. But how did they get into AWS? Because all these big IT name companies, they could, they did not have the answer to the problem that Amazon was facing. And I think it is it is brilliant. It, it is just amazing story that you had a business who had nothing to do with cloud computing. They were like, you know, instead of asking other companies and paying them so much money, they came up with a, a solution and now they're leading that space for the last 10 years. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, I work at Amazon, not on that side of things, but uh, I think one thing I'll just add to that story is that this is something that what they were finding is that they were trying to do new projects, trying to launch new whatever. And it was just taking too much time to set up the IT infrastructure for each separate one. Right. So like, why don't we just set up this whole thing where people can just reuse things, right? So that's how, how it kind of started. And again, the theme is like understanding what the problem is, right? right? So they took the same approach. They're like, okay, this is a problem we keep running into. It's taking us months just to get a little thing off the ground, right? Because we have to keep setting up the same infrastructure over and over again. And we take that, how can we make this process better, right? And so I think that is, again, that's the theme of the podcast. I think we need to make sure, how can we do things better? Take the data, what are the pain points, right? right? Dive deep, take the data, understand what those pain points are. And then I always say this, uh, and it's, you know, some people, creativity is not about, you know, drawing a picture. It's not about like, it's not about art. Right. Like in a certain sense, it is. Yes. But like in regards to solving business problems, creativity is not like you wake up with a dream and you have a problem. You know, you have a solution. It's about understanding at a very deep level what the problem is. And then from there, seeing, okay, this is one potential solution. If we try this, we may be able to shave some time here. You know what I mean? Like that's what true creativity is in the context of solving business problems. I think if you want to build a brand, you mentioned this before too, right? Like in branding, in the branding space, you don't necessarily see a lot of talk about data. Hmm. When there should be, there should be a lot of talk about data. You should right. be measuring what people are coming to your website for. You should be looking at the problems that your customers are facing. Like it's it's all about it's all about data, right? It's right. all like you have to have this mindset where we understand where we're constantly taking feedback from our users, our customers, our clients, whatever it may be and improving that process. So um, thanks again for, uh, you know, that wonderful theme of the podcast. I know I cut you off, so I'll let you, is there anything else you want to touch on the AWS piece? Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's all right. Uh, I, no, I, I think that this was, I, I pretty much covered everything. Um, I, I just wanted to quickly um, add, um, that even during this project, AWS migration project, I, I think what I enjoyed was was the support from my senior management. Um, otherwise, I don't think I, I could have made it. Um, so I think it's very important that you trust the people and you support them 
first of all, you need to find the right people and and then you need to support them and and give them the freedom and the tool to do their job. And then you will see the amazing results. And even in my team, that's that's exactly what I'm promoting as well. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not telling them, okay, you go from point A to point B. No, no, no. It, it, just, just go wild. And let, let's see what you can come up with. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of time I, I see really surprising results because I'm not, I'm not restricting them to what, what my vision is or the limitations of my vision is because I'm not doing eight hours a day, nine hours a day of somebody else's job on my team. I, I have this bigger picture, but you know the, the, everyone else is, are doing their part. So let's see, for example, if I'm telling them, dictating them, I, I think that that's not very productive. Hmm. You need to you know, just, just help them, mentor them, and then give them the freedom and support them. And then you will see amazing things happen. If I were to summarize that, I would say you need to teach them how to find the problems and build those solutions and then right. be there to support exactly. those solutions, yep. right? So I think a lot of times the, the problem may be that uh, when we're talking about training, it's not that they need the technical know-how. Mm-hmm. It's that we need to make sure that the people on our team are thinking the way we're thinking in respect to, hey, I see this problem on the website. Hey, there's this problem how do I come up with a solution that can be scaled to the whole organization, right? Like getting them to think like that is is super important Um, and putting mechanism and getting them to think about mechanisms, right? Like not just, Hey, like, let me fix this. Mm -hmm. Think bigger, right? Like how do you fix this? Like you gave a good example, like, Hey, we want to give this back to the Drupal community, right? Like how do we fix this? This is a problem we're facing. And if we're facing this problem, Another sector of the government is probably facing it too, right? right? Another cabinet organization is probably facing it. So how do we scale this and give it back to everyone else, right? And so I think that's kind of where the big picture thinking uh, really comes in. Um, Atik, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, I've learned a lot in this episode. I know I probably should have kept more quiet and let you speak, <laughs> but I, I, I just um, I, I get a little bit excited. So. Sorry about that. I don't no no worries. Uh, I, uh, thank you. Really um, appreciate your time. Uh, well, it was a. I think we should do this more often. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Would love to have you back on any any time. Uh, last thing we do. This is a tradition of the Branding Deep Dive podcast. Is the last question is always, "What is your favorite brand?" Apple. Apple. Why is that? Um, because I, th- I think Apple taught me what brand loyalty is. Mm-hmm. And I sh- shared this, this example with you that uh, uh, I've been using Apple for last 15 years. I have iPhone um, 4, I believe. Um, that's, or maybe 3. I, I don't even remember uh, all those. Uh, and and I, I don't remember the... Apple phone had antenna problems. Like you're making a call and all of a sudden the call drops. So I was like really frustrated. I was like, really? The main function of the phone is to make a call. If the phone cannot make a call, doesn't matter what it does, man. 
That's the basic function. That's why the phone was built, right? No. Like you're making a call, all of a sudden, you know, maybe getting directions or something very important, you know, uh, and boom. Apple's kept complaining that, no, this is the the wireless company and the wireless company. No, it's Apple. But anyway, long story short, um, I don't think that a lot of people dropped. I did not drop, okay? So you were having connectivity issues. Exactly. And you're thinking to yourself, what this is the main function right. of the phone. It's like, and yet you did I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't I'm not liking Apple anymore, but mm. I still have it. I'm not looking to switch to something else. Mm. Okay. So even then I didn't get the whole picture. Okay. Like what is going on? What is loyalty, brand loyalty, uh customer loyalty? Um and then one day uh one of my friends who t- teaches at Ohio University. He's an assistant professor there. Um, I, I visited his house, uh, and he was like, hey, at the way, look, my phone does this. It does t- tethering and, you know, 50 other things and blah, blah, blah. I was like, aha. See, this is called brand loyalty. I, I am satisfied, even though the, the calls are dropping, whatever is going on. I'm not like, okay, look what it does, man. So I, I think that is where it, the Apple has so strong uh, branding and, and, and customer loyalty. It is just just amazing. Um, and, and that is one of the reasons I, I love um, Apple products. Anything that I have bought, you know, they, they, people just... You know, they they make fun of me that why I still have iPhone SE uh, six years later when there is, you know, 12 Pro now. Um, And I have same Mac Air for last seven years. I don't think that any laptop I had that was not Apple and I had for more than two years without it struggling, the processor struggling and making uh, as... You know, so much noises that you're like, you know, do it. I mean, come on. Uh, so, yeah, no, the, the, the product that Apple has built, I, I think they deserve it. Um, so for me, that was a lesson, you know, that aha moment when my friend was like, okay, look, you know, it does this and that. I was like, see, I mean, I, I'm, I'm satisfied. I don't, I, I don't even care. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's one thing, like, I've noticed, and I, I mean, this is just my limited experience, so it might not be the case, but like, I feel like non-Apple users are always like, hey, look at the specs of this product. And you're just like, right. dude, I don't care about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I mean, how many times you have looked at the RAM or something or have bought more RAM? I, and I remember, I, I have been a lifelong user of Microsoft products. And Dell, you know, as, like, and, and you're a tech guy, right? And, and and every now and then, I was running around with like, okay, I'm gonna go get some more RAM and put it in the computer and upgrade it. You know, seven years, man. This uh, I'm, I'm using Mac Air, and my son been using for his uh, his school online, I call it Zoom school, uh, for uh, a year, and he pounded, <laughs> you know, like depending on the day and you know, uh, and, and his mood. 
uh, a seven-year-old, you know, uh, doesn't know that, you know, the, if it's, you know, just stuck or taking some time to load, like they, they just want everything to show up right away. Uh, and that thing is still working. No mm-hmm. issues there. Uh, no, any compromise on the speed, the response time, it boots, boots like, you know, as, as if it was brand new, just bought as if I bought just yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, they, they, they build incredible products and they, they deserve it. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Thanks again for coming on. Sure. I'm looking absolutely. forward to doing this again soon. Wow. There was a lot to unpack in this episode. As always, I'm going to try my best to distill down one or two key takeaways uh, from this episode. But before we do that, I want to share a clip from an episode we did on the Republican Party with Faisal Chaudhry. I mean, I think in general, Republicans have historically, like in the modern times, been much much better at branding. Um, uh, yeah, at branding than the, than the, than the Democratic Party. Um, I, you know, and you pointed out, um, they do a good job of kind of simplifying their message uh, into just, you know, a couple, you know, a couple kind of key sound bites. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Democrats have always struggled with that. If you enjoyed this deep dive on content management, I'm sure you'll also enjoy the deep dive on the Republican Party. Check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is episode number four. Now, here are my key takeaways. Number one, take the time to invest in content creation and content management. When you're small and you only have a few pages on your site, it's a little bit easier to make sure that all the content is up to par. But as you scale and you get hundreds and thousands of pages, it becomes even more important to make sure that the content on your website represents your brand the way you want it to. So create mechanisms to make sure that that's happening. And number two, there is a three-step formula for creating a great product or website, and it goes like this. Step one, understand the analytics to see what problems your target audience is facing. Step two, build solutions based on that data that you have. And step three, get feedback to see if those solutions are working. You follow this formula, you will have a good product. And that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed this, please do rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.